Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Garage. I am Robert Bauman, your host. I'm the program director of the General Automotive Program here at Gwinnett Technical College. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much. Hopefully that means that we have the hook set and you're interested to hear what we have to talk about moving forward. If this is your first time listening to us, thanks for joining us. Thanks for showing interest. And if you have any questions about the college, such as where it's located and what programs we offer, you can visit our website at gwinnetttech.edu. That should answer any and all of your questions, or you can also go ahead and listen to our first episode. Now, this episode, we're going to talk about, and I gave it an appropriate title called Filling the Industry Cup. And what I mean by that is, It's no secret that there is a shortage to qualified technicians in the automotive industry. And we're going to talk about the different hurdles and challenges that we face keeping qualified technicians in this industry to deal with the number of cars and the changing technology on the road. But before we get into that, I told you guys last time we spoke that I was going to give you an idea of what a typical class is like for us. So I'm going to talk about what we did last week, just so you get an idea what we do in the classroom. I'm going to talk about a class that I teach. One of the classes I teach is called Engine Performance. And when we get students in here, they typically look at the title of that class and they think, oh, wow, we're going to get into hot rodding and making cars go faster and fast and furious and all of that kind of stuff. And you got to put the brakes on a little bit and say, whoa, 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 slow down. You have to crawl before you can walk and you have to walk before you can run. Engine performance to a technician means that we have to get that vehicle running exactly the way it was when it rolled off of the assembly line. In other words, maximizing horsepower, maximizing fuel economy, and keeping emissions at their lowest. So when I teach that class, it usually covers two days. This semester, it was on a Monday and a Tuesday, and it went from 10 to 1.45 each day. We get into the classroom at the beginning, we give a little bit of lecture, talk about theory, and then we move into the lab. Well, this week, we had reached the point of the semester where we were discussing fuel systems. So on Monday, I started off the class by giving the students a history of fuel systems all the way back to the days of carburetors. And you might think why that's important. Well, I'm trying to show them the relationship between the start of fuel systems and where we are today. And that even though we're in this high-tech, direct-injected system, the basic principles of fuel atomization are still the same as they were with carburetors. Now, obviously, we don't spend a lot of time with carburetors because it's not relevant to their job today, but I at least give them that little bit of history. And so when I'm in the classroom, I talk about uh, the different theories of the system. I talk about the different components. We actually pass around parts. The students can touch them, get their hands on. And then we use a combination of multimedia to really emphasize our point. We use PowerPoints that we as instructors have created on our own, videos that we have made on our own, and we also use a a learning management system called Electude. Now, Electude offers us a lot of different animations that really explain how things work in sort of a real live scenario. You know, as I'm talking about the different modes of direct injection, they can actually see an animation behind me that I can control and it will show when the fuel is sprayed in and where the piston is as opposed to top dead center, all of that kind of stuff. So with this technology-driven student base that we have, we have to use 
uh, tools like that to keep their interest and to also aid in their learning. So I talk a little bit about the theory, talk a little bit about how it works, talk a little bit about the components. And then on top of all of that, I talk about my experience because we all know that, you know, what's in the book is in the book. But sometimes in the field, in the industry, you experience things that are slightly different than what's in the book. And it's important to teach these students that as well. So we get to a certain point in the lecture and then to break it up, we head out into the lab and maybe we'll pair off each student to a different car and they will identify the fuel system components. Now we have a fleet of 43 different vehicles that we train on, which is all different makes and models. And that gives the students an opportunity to look at how each manufacturer differs from the other. And we tell them, look, the theory is the same, but you know, Toyota might do it a little bit differently than Nissan and Nissan might do it a little bit differently than, than GM, but you get the point. So they kind of get their hands on and, and look at that. And then we go back to the classroom and we start talking about how are we going to diagnose some of these fuel system problems and what are some fuel system problems we're going to run into and some symptoms. And then we head back out to the lab again. And at this point, the instructor, myself, we would give a demonstration in front of the students on how we're going to check out these different parts of the fuel system. And you're going to say, well, how do you do that with 25 students? Uh, demonstrate how to use a multimeter or a scope or a fuel pressure gauge. And, you know, I wish you could see that and, and understand how we, we project it to a wide audience. And, well, wait a minute. I forgot. You can. You know, we have a YouTube channel. And on that YouTube channel, we have created videos of the instructors doing these different tasks for the students. And we also have the students participate in it, so they become a part of the video. And I actually found out that what the students will do with this in this technology-driven demographic is when they're out in the lab, if they get stuck on something and they can't quite remember how to do that task, they'll pull out their tablet or they'll pull out their phone and they'll go to the YouTube channel and they will watch the video. And therefore, if the instructor is busy with another group, instead of having downtime in the lab, they can actually look at the task and continue moving forward. It's really kind of a cool concept, and the students really like it. Uh, we also have a very big presence on social media. Um, we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and our YouTube channel, as I just mentioned. And now we're doing podcasts. So uh, this is a good way to get our program out and what we do here and to sort of shine a light on it. But it's also a way for the students to feel like they're part of something. You know, I never want students to come to a school just to get an education. I want the students to come to the school and feel like they are part of an experience. So we take pictures and we really showcase what they're doing in the labs. Um, and they uh, interact with the social media and add comments and their friends add comments and their parents get to see what they're doing. So it's really a good tool that we use to help talk about our program and, and get our program out there for people to see. Now, if you want to check out any of that stuff, you can go to YouTube and go under Gwinnett Technical College General Automotive Programs, and that's our YouTube channel. If you want to go to Instagram and Snapchat, you can go to GTC General Auto, and Twitter is GTC Automotive. So I encourage you, take a look at that, see what you think, and uh, if you like it, comment, get other people to watch it, and uh, feel like you're a part of it as well. So now we talked about what we do. That's a typical class. Um, all classes are structured pretty much like that. If you were in my class, that's what you have done this past week. 
So now we're going to move on to the body of this episode, which is filling that industry cup. We're going to talk about what's contributing to that, why we have this cup that's partially empty, and what we're going to do to help keep it full. Okay, in the automotive industry today, we are facing what I call a perfect storm. There are more cars on the road than there have ever been. I mean, think about it. When you drive through a neighborhood, look in the driveway, and how many houses do you see with two, three, and four cars? Cars are built better, so as a result, they're lasting longer. And as they last longer, when they go to resell them used, the prices get cheaper, so therefore more people can purchase cars. The technology is rapidly advancing. It's, it's advancing at a whiplash pace, and it's very hard to keep up with all of the changes. And then the last thing to this perfect storm is we have a shortage of technicians, qualified technicians. We, I read something in the Department of Labor that said within the next 7 to 10 years, uh, we are going to lose about 51% of the technician workforce, and that's just due to retiring. Okay, um, these are guys my age, uh, and I looked at that and said, wow, that's pretty real, pretty true, because I'm getting to that point. So that's going to leave a huge void in the auto industry on how they're going to take care of the above mentioned many, many cars on the road. So how are we going to fill this cup? Well, we're going to do it by a, a number of ways. One of the first things we're going to do is we're going to ensure that we have a good quality education. Without that quality education, these students, they're not really going to get a job in the industry that allows them to work on these technologically advanced cars. You know, I have a lot of partnerships with different manufacturers and different auto groups throughout the metro Atlanta area. And the one common thing that I hear is I hear that they're no longer just mechanics. We hate the term mechanics. We're technicians. You know, if my students use the term mechanic in class, I actually dock them for points because we are technicians. The day of the shade tree backyard mechanic is gone. So our, our partners, they will not hire students unless they have some form of formal education. And whether that's a diploma, a certificate of completion, or a degree... They just said they can't hire them without their formal education because of the amount of investment that they want to put into these future employees. You know, it costs the manufacturer a lot of money to put these students and put these potential employees through manufacturer training to get them up to where they're supposed to be to meet manufacturer credentials. They don't want to do that unless they have a formal education background. And I don't I don't blame them, quite frankly. As expensive as these cars are and as expensive as parts are and as expensive it is to fix, I mean, you can't really make a mistake without it becoming expensive or becoming dangerous when you're talking about driver assist systems. So we have to provide Equinet Tech a good, relevant, up-to-date, and fun education for our students. You know, we can have all the relevant technology to teach with, a great LMS, a good curriculum, and we can have up-to-date instructors. But, you know, if we don't make it fun for the students, they're going to lose interest and not want to come back. Um, our instructors, I pride myself on having instructors like myself who are very transparent. 
And we're not afraid to say when we've made mistakes. And we tell all these horror stories about when we did things wrong, when we were technicians. And it kind of shows them that we're humans. You know, we make mistakes. This is an industry that Murphy's Law is is a, a major part of this industry. So uh, by being transparent like that, the students trust us, they respect us, and they also believe what we're saying and, and take it to heart. By being approachable, and by being friendly and good and down to earth, it also keeps their interest in the program wanting to come back. And I think that's just as important as everything else. The next big part of keeping that industry cup full is our relationship with the industry. We have an advisory board that meets twice a year. We have a spring meeting and a fall meeting. We have 31 current members on that advisory board. And our, our representatives on our advisory board cover everything from all areas. We have representatives from Snap-on, Hunter Engineering, Hennessy Automotive Group here in Atlanta, Jim Ellis Automotive Group in Atlanta, DeKalb County Fleet Services, Nissan, Infinity, Subaru, NTB, Bridgestone, Team Ryan, which is our alumni-owned business. And that's just to name a few. So our advisory board is a great representation of the automotive industry. And they have a very important role. Um, they, they know what's going on in the automotive industry. They have their hand on the pulse of the industry. And so we need to tap into that so we can find out what we need to do for them and what trends that they're seeing that we need to address in our studies. Oh, one of the other unique ones that we just recently had uh, join our advisory board is Toyota Forklifts of Atlanta. So you might think, well, we're teaching automotive. Why would we want to have forklifts on our advisory committee? Well, how many times when you're driving down the road do you see those vans that might have on the side like crown lift trucks or Toyota lift trucks, things like that? Somebody has to maintain that fleet of vehicles. So that was another area that was a little bit diverse, a little bit unique outside that they wanted to be a part of our our automotive program. And they have hired some of our students. Uh, One of our students actually started out working on their fleet vehicles, and he progressed up to working on the lift trucks. So he sort of has both sides of the industry covered. So he's got a lot of job opportunities and a lot of doors open in the future for him. Now, what does our advisory board do? Well, when we get together, we talk about our program, you know, what we're doing, any updates that we had, any changes to curriculum. We talk about the facilities. We do a tour of our facilities and they can look at our labs and our classrooms. And uh, we talk about our budget, how we spend our money, We have a foundation account where we have donations from these members of our advisory board. And then we can use that money for certain things. We all have to vote on it. And and if it's something that's a good idea, we'll put it to a vote. And the advisory board also has a, a good job. They have a lot of power if the facility or the program really, really needs something that they feel is important, that is relevant to the industry and is relevant to what we do they actually can wield enough power to go to our accreditation organizations and suggest that we get these things done. That's really nice. Uh, So they make suggestions, we make suggestions. But again, the biggest uh, advantage of our advisory board is they, they know what's going on. They're the frontline troops. 
So at the end of every advisory meeting, I always end it the same way. I look out at them and I say, how can we help you? What do you guys need? And to give you an example of, of how that works, they had told us recently about tires. Well, you think, well, tires aren't that bad. And they were saying that they saw a rash of these manufacturers making expensive rims and run-flat tires and, and real thin sidewall tires. And technicians were struggling and, and marring up the rims and causing damage to the rims. So they said, you know, if you could emphasize that a little bit more and practice with that a little bit more, we'd greatly appreciate it. So we then put in and received the newest Hunter wheel balancers, newest Hunter tire change machines. And instead of just making the students do the task once or twice, we actually devote a little bit more time and get the students more proficient with that. And as a result, it has cut down on damage to tires and rims. But this was something that they saw as a need that we were able to address. So again, that's a very important part in how we keep this cup full. And finally, I like our instructors to remain current and remain passionate. I'm very lucky that I have instructors that work with me that have just as much passion and excitement about teaching as I do. You know, we also have to remain constant. This is something we tell the students almost on a daily basis that, you know, just when you're done with the teachings at Gwinnett Technical College does not mean that your automotive education is over. It's only just beginning. You know, I've been in the auto industry since 1991. Wow. And uh, I've been going to school constantly. I have to. If I want to stay ahead of, of this technology and understand it, and at the time repair it, I had to continue my education. And now I have to understand it, sometimes repair it, but I have to teach it to this newer generation. So therefore, I have to remain up to date and current. We are very, very lucky and very fortunate that we have access to a lot of industry training. All of our manufacturers that participate in the program have given us instructors access to their factory training, whether it's web-based or actually sitting in at the local training centers here in Atlanta. So it keeps us up to date on the newest and most current technology. I'm going to talk in a future episode about our manufacturer support and everything that they bring to the table for us and everything that we have access to as instructors and everything that our students have access to. Because again, that's something that is a very big part of keeping us relevant in this industry. Now, the other thing that we have to do is we have to always look to the future. We have to see what is around the corner, what's through that next door. Well, currently, the big thing for the future is autonomous vehicles or vehicle autonomy. And that's a technology that's rapidly approaching. You know, first of all, why would somebody want to buy a car and not drive it? But that's coming from a gearhead's perspective. I always want to drive a car. But nonetheless, that is a technology that we are going to have to embrace. We're going to have to learn and we're going to have to teach in the future. I had the privilege of attending a vehicle autonomy class, a week-long class, in Dayton, Ohio at Sinclair Community College, and it was put on by all the manufacturers that have uh, advanced driver assist systems, as well as semi-autonomous and some autonomous driving. Tesla, GM's Cadillac with their Super Cruise, Mercedes-Benz, Subaru's EyeSight, just to name a few. 
They also had some representatives there from LiDAR radar systems. And we spent a whole week going over what these systems do, their capabilities, uh, and where the future is going with it. We also talked about vehicle-to-vehicle communications, vehicle-to-infrastructure communications, and how that's going to be something that we're going to address in the future as well. We at Gwinnett Tech feel that this is such an important development and important part of the automotive future that we are sitting down and creating a course to add to our curriculum that is going to address these driver assist systems and these vehicle autonomous driving capabilities. Currently, there is no other program like that, so we're kind of going into the dark, but I think we've pulled enough resources together and we've gotten enough material and enough input from other instructors. We're going to hopefully have this program added to our curriculum as early as next year. But anyway, that's where we have to stay with the future. And by doing that, it also shows that we're ahead of everything. And it excites the students to continue coming. And if they continue coming, they continue getting that education. And voila, we keep that cup full. The automotive landscape is constantly changing. From advances in technology, to employer needs, and to student expectations. I want to say, and I'm very happy to say, that here at Gwinnett Technical College, we are doing everything that we can to make sure that we stay ahead of that curve and stay ahead of those changing times, and always evolve, and always give our students the best education that they can receive, and also give them opportunities to get out in this industry, and be productive, and have successful careers. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed listening. Hope it raised some questions. If it does, you can contact me, rbauman at gwinnetttech.edu. Or you can visit the college's website, gwinnetttech.edu, and you can go to the automotive technology section and communicate with me there. I'm excited about our next episode. That one's going to be called Technician to Teacher. And that's where we have our first guest speaker. So I'm really excited about that because this guest speaker is our newest instructor in our program. And he actually started out as a student of mine. And he went on to work in the industry for a number of years. He had a successful career as a technician, and then he decided, you know, I want to give back and I want to become a instructor. So I'm going to talk with him and and let you guys hear his story on what made him decide to become a technician, what made him decide to become an instructor. The nice thing about having him as one of our instructors is his age. He is close in age to our student demographic that we have in front of us. So we sort of get an inside view of what they're thinking and and what they expect. And it helps us as a program evolve for that ever-changing classroom. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and look forward to the next episode. Look forward to hearing from some of you, possibly some suggestions. But above all, I want you guys to remember, technicians keep the world rolling.